Christians that around Brazil that they were having the SEND, which is um, um, calling together people to pray and and just seek God and come in prayer, to come as a, as a group to pray. You know, I told you about the day that, uh, that the king of England called, May the 26th, called the nation to prayer over the plight of the soldiers in World War II at Dunkirk. And he called the nation to prayer and people came out. Were they great prayers? Were they like, Amazing prayers. Did they have their PhDs in prayer? Probably some of them never prayed in 50 years. But they were in a desperate situation, and they came out to call on God and cry out to God. And I promise you that as we come together to call on God and cry out to God, as a nation, people have called on God. Breakthrough after breakthrough is taking place. And around the world, not just in this nation, but around the world, breakthrough is taking place as people call on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I would like to uh, talk to you today about embracing what you are, where you are, and where you're going. And uh, I want to, I think I'll start with Psalm 16. In the I'm going to use several scriptures. Psalm 16, Philippians 2, Matthew 11. It's a smorgasbord. But in Psalm 16, it's about the Lord. It's about Jesus. It's about his death. It's about his resurrection. Psalm 16 is about the Lord's love for people. Keep me safe, O mighty God. I run for dear life to you, my safe place. So I said to the Lord God, You're my maker, my mediator, my master. Any good thing you find in me has come from you. And he said to me, My holy lovers are wonderful. And so in the King James, this is the one that says, In these people are all my delight. These are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Describing the, the people of God that he has a delight in people. They're my majestic ones, my glorious ones. They're fulfilling all my desires. Yet there are those who yield to their weakness and they will have troubles and sorrows unending and never gather with such ones. Just don't even be in that world. Lord, I have chosen you alone as my inheritance. And now this begins to speak about how... Uh, the Lord committed himself to the Father. And the scripture in the um, New King James or the King James, those translations say, you will not leave my soul in hell. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. But you will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so uh, this week I was reading a, a, like a devotional and the person said, of Jesus, the Son of Man, came enjoying life. And I thought, huh? 
the Son of Man came enjoying life. And as I looked at that, and I went, it's actually the scripture, that, it's the Phillips translation of Matthew eleven nineteen, which actually says, it's a passage where Jesus is, John the Baptist sent and said, are you the one or shall I look for another? And Jesus says, well, the blind see, the dead are raised, and it goes through the list of things that he's done, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And so in that passage, those people are like, uh, Jesus is talking to them about how they are so incredibly picky. But when it, it's that passage where he says, the Son of Man came, and you called him a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of sinners. But in the Greek, I want to show you something I saw, and I was like, what? Why does it say this this way? In that verse, it says, the Son of Man came, a human, comma, a glutton, a drinker, a friend of sinners. Anthropos, or it's, it's got a different ending because of the tense of it, and I can't remember what it is. But that word in Greek is like mankind. He came a human. And I thought, well, Lord, why, why would you delineate in that list of things to say you came as a human? And so when Jesus came to embrace what he was, he embraced that he was a human. He embraced that he was a human. When they're describing him, they say he's a human. In Francis Schaeffer had a book several years ago where he's talking about how the world had how the world had developed, and he talked about the time of the Middle Ages. He talked about the time of the Renaissance, and he talked about how um, this fascinates me: how the people in that time. They did not depict people looking like real people. Have you ever wondered why art doesn't look like real people? I mean, the same people had eyes and hands and brains. But when they made it, they could, it didn't look like real people. And so the, Francis Schaeffer talked about how in that time frame in the church... Humanity was considered so bad and so evil that there was like a separation between this is human and this is divine. And so there was such a huge separation between this is human and this is divine that they didn't even make art where humans look like humans. They made, uh, like when they make a picture of Jesus, it looked like a little round face, one-dimensional perfect little thing with halos around its head. You know, Jesus was like a baby, squirming, screaming, burping. Did Jesus burp? <laughs> For Jesus to get to the place where in Psalm 16... The scripture says, Thou wilt show me the path that leads to resurrection life. Thou wilt show me the path that leads to life. But, and that path that led to life led 
the Son of God, God, very God, He was God. The path that led to life took God, and that path took Him through human. He's walking along in His path as a Redeemer, and it's like, oh my goodness, no. Seriously. I'm going to need to be human? He became human. He chose to become human. And I want to invite you today to get to the path of resurrection life by choosing to be human. Yeah. Embrace who you are. One of the ways we can never get where we want to go is that we're trying to be divine or something. We're trying to not be who we are. But the way to get to where God can move on your heart is to be who you are. Well, like, Jane, what are you saying? We should, like, sin, be drunks, wine, beer. Well, no, wine, beer is a drunk. Sorry, I got that wrong. Glutton, wine, beer. No, I'm saying that if you're trying so hard to be so spiritual that you can't get a hold of the fact that you are actually a human and function as human. He did. He functioned as human. And so when he came, he came first human. He embraced that humanity. Philippians 2. Oh, I threw my glasses. I need them. <laughs> I guess I just thought I was healed all of a sudden. Uh, now stay with me. This is a little bit convoluted, but... Hang in there, okay? So, he, in Philippians 2, it describes this, how he came and how he went through the track of human to get to the track of resurrection. It's not a dichotomy. It's not like you... You've got to be either divine or you're, or you're low. You're either high or you're low. You're either divine or you're human. It's not that at all. It's this ginormous meshing of the human and the heavenly. And Jesus came and brought that through because he walked the path that led to resurrection life. And it took him through human. Um, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16... This is one of my favorite verses. 1 Timothy 3, 16. God, God was manifested in the flesh. So when God is calling on us to serve him, walk it out, live as servants of Jesus Christ... He's not looking for us to perfect something that is so divine it's completely separated from human because our goal in life is to touch human. Our goal in life and what he set us to do is to touch people. And so if you're so repulsed by the condition of people, how are you going to touch them? You've got to be into that. You have to accept it and embrace it. That this is the human thing. God is manifested not somewhere on a pedestal or somewhere over here that is sterile. He's in, what do they call it, a zero, some kind of room where no germ can get in or out. 
zero volume, zero gravity or some kind of room at the hospital where if you get a surgery in there, nothing that if they open you up and there's something weird in you, it can't get out of that room and nothing can get in there. And so God doesn't have Jesus in his like little zero uh, pressure room over here, keeping him safely, holy. He has Jesus now in us. And I'm imagining that you guys in the course of a week have a lot of contact with things that feel very human. Very human. And so if you resent the human that comes in contact with you, if you're trying to escape that you have to have human around you, <laughs> oh God! I was describing to the people when I left Illinois, they said, Where, what exactly are you going to do in Tennessee? What are you exactly going to be? I said, I said I'm going to be almost Amish. <laughs> they were like, trying to figure, I'm going to be almost Amish. But we cannot put ourselves into a monastic situation where we have no contact with human beings and we put ourselves in a little bubble and try to insulate ourselves from the things that disgust us or frighten us. If Christ is in us, which he is, by the Holy Spirit, we, can, we should be terrifying the things that are around us, not be, being terrified by them. We are living in a culture right now that is absolutely selling fear everywhere you turn. It's, can you believe this? Can you believe that? This is scary. I don't know what this is like a fear world. You have to step outside of that and say, hey, I am human here with Christ in me, and I accept it. I embrace that he's not going to lift me up out of here and say, come on, i got to get you out of here before something touches you. In the Old Testament, if you touched something unclean, what happened? You were unclean if you touched something unclean. I want to declare to you today, we're living in the gospel. We're living in the New Testament. If you touch something unclean, it becomes clean because of the power of God that is in you. You have power to cleanse that which is unclean. It doesn't have power to make you unclean if you touch it. We're living in the blood of Christ. We're walking in the gospel season. We're not in a season where we're going to run, run around scared of this and scared of that, or uh, I'm going to be influenced by something. I've been influenced by two or three things. I promise you, if you get influenced by something, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that is in you will say, Hey, get that out of here. I don't like this. Well, there you go. And so... This is the first way to get to the resurrection life. You don't get there trying to be so good that nothing bad ever gets close to you. You get there by embracing the human. So, the Phillips translation of the verse where they said, you're a, he's a man, a human, a glutton, a wine-bibber. Phillips translated that. The Son of Man came enjoying life. 
Now, I want you to think about what Jesus was doing. That somebody would say, Son of Man came enjoying life. Uh, he was not in the temple, rolled up in some sort of a holy prayer blanket. I think Jesus was in the street a lot. He was out there in the street among people. And so when he was among people, he wasn't just among people uh, quoting scriptures. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I would say he was in somebody's house saying, can I have another bagel, please? Did you put a smear on that bagel? Schmear, bagel and a smear. Uh, there you go, Grace. Bagel and a schmear. Uh, he was eating. He was among people, not acting like, I'm not one of you. He embraced that he was human, and he not just embraced that he was human, the condition of it, but he accepted where he was. This is where you are, Jesus. You don't have a place to sleep. You don't have a house. Although I've heard some people preach he had a house in Capernaum. It was a wealthy man, Jesus was. And he was wealthy, had a house in Capernaum, and took care of all the people that uh, traveled with him. I think the Bible says that these ladies took care of him, and he didn't have a place to put his head down. Anyway, it's a way to tweak on it. I mean, you can tweak on anything. But when Jesus gets here as human, he accepted where he was. Here I am, human. He wasn't trying to figure out a way in his prayers, say, God, could I please come back? This is awful. So I want to encourage you today to accept where you are. I know that someone said to me one time, I don't know, I was probably saying, I'm getting out of here, blah, blah. I probably used an expletive or something. And they said, well, just always remember, Jane, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So just... Set your heart down in where you are, where God has you. My children live, my old children, not my kid child. My old children live. They would love hearing this. Maybe they'll listen to this and go, what did you call us? My oldest child lives in Florida, in Pensacola. My second child lives in Gananoque in Canada and Ontario. I have often wanted to be where they are. I've often yearned to say, could I not just be where they are? Could I not just be there and long to be there? If I were with Amy in Florida, we are very much alike. Someone might be injured. The phone calls are wonderful. 
the texts, the conversations. But if I were striving against my own self, I want you to hear me. There's a peace that comes when you sit down in where you... It doesn't mean you're going to stay there. It doesn't mean any condition that you're in that you're going to stay there. Lord, I don't want to be in this particular condition with this particular amount of sickness I'm dealing with or this or that. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to stay there. But the strife against who you are as a human and wanting to be outside of humanity and something wonderfully spiritual, anointed by God and revived, um, and being somewhere else than the daily grind of what your life is, keeps you from being able to release the life of God where you are. Because it is planting ourselves down into that, that re or just relaxing, letting our hearts be at peace. I don't know where I'll be all the whole rest of my days. I don't even know how many days I have. I could just like go to heaven today. Who knows? Uh, I don't think I will, but I'm just saying, you know, we think we know so much. But if you settle in the moment, Jesus said sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Just take no thought for your life. What, Jesus? Don't you understand about how things work? <laughs> take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought of the things of itself. Jesus, you're so completely irresponsible in how you're approaching things. I think what Jesus is saying is, please just settle into what you have in the moment. Right now to who you are in the moment. And let the life of God sit with you and be with you in the moment that you're in. And enjoy God. This is the path to life forevermore. This is the path to presence and fullness of joy. Because feeling like a strife about your life takes away the joy. Pass me a bagel, please. What can, what can I do today or tomorrow among the humans? What can I do among the people? Let's turn to Matthew eleven nineteen. I want to back that up. I don't really want to start with 19. This is where John sent to Jesus. And Jesus said, Go and tell John the things that you hear and see. And then he goes on and he starts talking about John. Jesus does. As they departed, but Jesus turned to the multitude and started talking to them about John. But he said to them, what did you go out in the wilderness for? What are you looking for? So he is speaking. They came and asked. John sent, sent some folk and asked Jesus, and he gave them the answer. And then he turned to the other people. And he said, what are you looking for? And so, because they had gone out in the wilderness to be baptized by John. 
people were doing that at that time. And Jesus said to them, what are you looking for? What did you go out to see? And so he challenged them about what they were striving after. What did you go out to see? What did you think you were going to see? Did you think you were going to see a guy in a great outfit? John is like in rough clothes. Soft clothing is in king's houses. He's in the desert. And so you knew what was out there. What, what are you looking for? There's a working that comes, and I think it's a psychological thing, but I also think the enemy gets into it where he begins to stir in you of, I've got to find something. I'm looking for something. I'm go, I've got to go. I'm looking. I've got to go out here, and I've got to find this, and I've got to find that. And what Jesus is trying to pull them into is, look, John was the greatest man that ever lived. And y'all went out there and didn't even recognize who he was. You didn't even know that the guy out there in a camel's hair outfit was the greatest man that ever lived up until that point. He said, he said he's the greatest man that, it, that was. Since... Um, when he came on the scene, he was greater than all the law and the prophets and all that had been before him. And so Jesus is saying to them, How? What are you looking to find? When you see it, you can't even discern it. And so the psalmist said, He's praying and he uses the term. He said, my soul is like a weaned child. Until our souls become like weaned childs, child, weaned childs in the presence of the Lord, we don't have the keen ability to even discern what it is that we see. So if they're out there with the greatest man that ever lived and they can't discern that he's the greatest man that ever lived. And they're standing there with the actual Son of God, and they're saying he is like a glutton and a drunk. And so then Jesus described that generation and said, this is what you guys are like. You're like music critics. You're like movie critics and music critics. And you're, we give you one thing, I don't want that. You're picking it apart. And so he said to them, this is what I'll liken this generation to. You're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, hey, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. And we mourned to you. And you did not lament. You didn't respond. What's wrong with you guys? Because John came neither eating or drinking. He was like fasting. And you said he has a demon. I'm here eating and drinking. And I'm a glutton and a wine bibber and a human. So as people... As Christians, Christians that are in an environment where we're looking for more, 
To be in an environment where you're looking for more, you're praying for revival, you're asking God for more. It's easy, I think it is, to begin to critique. I'm talking about yourself. I'm not, you might critique the things around you or whatever, but that, that you begin to critique and it's like, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't want to have to uh, have God move on me like in a way where it might affect the, my body. I might like shake or something. You remember John uh, Kilpatrick talking about how his hand shook and he was trying to hide his hand and he was trying to keep his hand from shaking. He just went into a total panic about trying to keep the fact that his hand, he did not want to shake. So when God is moving on our hearts, he's calling us to follow him and to follow him accepting who we are, where we are, in our human world and not be trying to be so spiritual and so alive and so wonderful to God that not one human could ever relate to that. Jesus came to show us the example. And did people relate to him? Little children ran up to him. You know, people that act all big and bad, little children don't run up to. They're like, ooh. So little children would come up to him or people were drawn to him because he knew who he was. He accepted where he was and he knew where he was going. And so here we are, Shekinah Church. We're human. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit in us and he's working in us, but we're not extracted out of human. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So we have this mystery of godliness that is in us, that here we are in our world with the humans. Interacting with them, not trying to not interact with them. And in this place of asking God for more, we have some idea where we're going. Now, Jesus knew where he was going. But I want to promise you, if you take the track to follow him, and to accept that you are a human in the human, human world, and to interact as a human in this world with the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and accept where he has put you to live out the expression of the Holy Spirit. He's put you in Kingsport, Tennessee, if you live in this town. And like some people are like, what? But wherever you are, Accepting that. And knowing as you pray for more, God is going to move on your heart and he's going to give you more. Jesus said, you will show me the path that leads to resurrection life. So I want to hold out to you today, the path that leads to resurrection life is not a striving path. 
It is a path of accepting I'm a human and I'm among the humans. And I'm here, I'm going to enjoy life. They may say, whoa, she's a glutton and a wine bibber. But hey, I'm going to enjoy the place where God has put me, seeking him for more, because Jesus knew where he was going. He knew he was going to suffering, but he knew he was going to eternal life. He knew that he was taking the human, a human body. You realize that Jesus, when Jesus was resurrected, there is a human body, a man, glorified in heaven. There was no human glorified in heaven. Jesus took the human glorified into heaven. And that's the path he's given us to walk. But if we're saying, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of this. This world is so crazy. Well, hey, I, I'm afraid. I just want to just take authority over that thing in Jesus' name and say fear has no place among us. And among the believers, we're triumphing over the places of fear. He has given us places in his spirit to walk that will take us to resurrection life and resurrection power. And we're going to see that as we seek him. So one of the things that hinders seeking after the Lord for more is trying to be super spiritual. <laughs> Sorry about that, Teresa. <laughs> trying to be super spiritual will hinder you. When you come to God, bring your human self there. Sit before his face. And faces to faces be before God with your human self. And have a care about the humans that are around you. Because that's how he lived it out. He had a care about the sick. He had a care about the poor. He had a care about the needy. That was what was in his heart. He wasn't thinking, get me out of this miserable earth existence. Could I please like, get to something a little more angelic? But he knew where he was headed. And he knew the path to resurrection power. So I want to invite you today to accept that you are human and say, thank you, Lord, I am. You am. <laughs> that you are human. In Joel 2, verse 23, there's a promise for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The former rain was called the former and the latter rain. We're praying for revival. We're praying for the former and the latter rain. And we're feeling like, oh God, we want to have former and latter rain. We want to have both rains in the same month. Because that's what I said, the former and the latter rain. When it says the Lord will faithfully give you the former rain, the word is righteous. In Hebrew, the word is righteous. He will give you the rain. Taylor's Living Bible translates this. The former rain, he called it the rain of forgiveness. So if you never bring your human self to God, you never get the former rain. 
Because we need the reign of his righteousness, not the reign of ours. Everything you're relying on in your pedigree and in your spiritual history, I want to invite you to throw it away and say, God, now where I sit and where I stand, I come to you as a human in the condition that I'm in and the place that I am in with the people that I am with. And I ask you to pour out on me. And first he pours out. That's righteous rain, the rain of forgiveness. And then the rain that f brings in a harvest. So, I remember a person who was here once. His wife had actually run away from him. <laughs> Pastor will remember this when I start telling. His wife had run away from him. She came actually to my door late at night with Elaine Knadel. I opened the back door to my house, which was out on uh, Rocky Branch Road. Opened the back door, and this little old lady said, Oh, hallelujah, I feel like Abraham. I found the place. <laughs> and I, who is this person? <laughs> and she said, I just struck out not knowing where I was going. I knew there was a place. And oh, hallelujah, I found the place. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and so with her, she had with her a lady and like three children, I think maybe the lady had three or four children. And she was running from her husband, actually, she was. It was kind of like a Hagar thing, I guess. She was, anyway, she was running for her husband, and he came. He came uh, to retrieve them and whatever. And we're just ministering to him and endeavoring to bring him into a place of Something more in God. And I was, probably, he was, I was probably standing about where Will Ahmed is sitting, and the man wheeled around to me and said, I have not sinned since 1942. <laughs> I thought that must have been a rocking sin for you to remember it in the terms of the year that you did it. <laughs> I have not sinned since 1942. So my point today is this. Accept your humanness and be happy. Enjoy life. I'm not saying go out and sin. That's not the point. But don't act like I'm so scared that something's going to defile me, I can't enjoy life and the people around me. Enjoy life. Enjoy the people around you. Don't be afraid somebody's going to say you're a, a man. You are. You're a person. You're a human. You're a glutton. You're a wine-bibber or whatever. Accept who you are as a human, where you are, among sinners. We've watched a, a video from Rich Wilkerson, a series of videos which we just really loved over, I don't remember, sometime last year. And the title of the little series was called A Friend of Sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And so to get to that place of being a friend of sinners, you don't just say, hey, I'm going to be a friend of sinners now. But internally to yourself, you're scared of something getting on you. You feel better than other people. You know, people can smell that. They can smell that self-righteous thing. And, but while you're praying for God to give you more, no. You're not better than anybody else. We're praying for God to give us more. 
And don't be telling God, well, God, you can give me more, but I'm not going to speak in tongues. And God, you can give me more, but I'm not going to let you touch my body where I might jerk or shake or fall down. Or God, um, you can give me more, but you've got to meet my criteria for giving me more. We know we're going to more of God, but we don't know what it looks like. It's okay, house full of humans. Sitting down in the middle of a town that is full of humans. People that are so needy, oh my God. Asking God to give us more. We don't know what it will look like and we don't know where it will end. But we will press on. And I promise you, He will pour out His Spirit. Let Him give you the former reign of forgiveness. Live in the place of knowing how much you love and need, need His forgiveness. And on this path, resurrection life is on the end of it. Now, I don't necessarily think that is for when we're dead. He's releasing resurrection life in the church right now. And I'm not saying that people won't die. You know that the never die people are dead. <laughs> well, they taught that a little bit at Elam. At one point, I think you know, Elam was a, a, a good situation. And they did not reject the latter rain. And so they're, they're uh, strong. But some of the folk were, got to teaching that they were never going to die. And the people that taught at that point in time, they're never going to die. They're dead. So that's why we can't have them come and teach. Because <laughs> if they come and teach, we're all just going to have heart attacks and die right there. <laughs> no. Anyway, let's stand together. <laughs>